Uh, so I was told the mandatory thing here, the two things. Talk about Jesus, make fun of Steve. So um, don't get excited. I'm not here because I'm a brilliant preacher. I'm here because Steve wanted the Sunday off. Um, so that's, my, that's, my, that's the two reasons people let me preach. To hear Nella sing or because somebody wants to have a, you know, a nice, nice Sunday without work. But to get more serious, if I can ask for the first slide, I want to ask the question today, what is church? Um, maybe you can even think about it a little bit. What if you had to say in one, one word, two words, or a sentence, what is church to you? Or maybe even uh, go further and ask yourself the question, what the people who are not Christians, people in your uh, community, people around you, your friends, what, what do you think they would say the church is? Because I think that's a, that's a, le- a big telling thing. We will go through the Ephesians. I'm not going to give the ultimate answer, but we will look at, about, at what Paul says in Ephesians, what church is, what it should be. And in Czech culture, sadly, the answer most non-Christians would give you is that church is something old, useless. It's a relic from the past that, you know, we're past that. We shouldn't. What is it for? Um, and a lot of times we go into this, like, um, animosity where we say, oh, you know, the non-Christians, they're terrible. They think these bad things about church. But oftentimes I think we should look at us, how we present the church. Because a lot of times... It's us in Czech Republic who make it seem like something lesser. It's, it's just a moral entity. And I know we should, as Christians, you know, grow in sanctification and, and be better people over time. But it's not a moral institution. The main point is not to tell people how should they should behave. Sometimes we make it about spiritual experience, you know. Today, people are more spiritual, even in Czechs. Uh, even Czech Republic, we were getting to the point where we are uh, rich enough to, you know, start. Now we have all our material needs uh, covered, and we start thinking about spirituality. And uh, the church has this temptation to say, oh, yeah, you, you know, either you're New Age or you're this. But, or, but we also have, have a, a spirituality that we can offer. But I think it's so much more. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's just about prayer experience, something mystic. Or it can be just a community. Maybe people go to church because, you know, you have friends there, you have family there. Uh, churches in Czech Republic uh, during the communist regime where church was almost illegal, uh, it was just families. You, you came to church because you were born there, your family was there. Uh, but I think Paul says it should be something more. And today's text that we will read uh, in a couple minutes, it talks about culture. Like, what's the place of church in, in, some, uh, in a certain culture? Is church Western or Eastern or is it American? And uh, there's a guy, me and my wife, we're part of a, a college ministry. And I, I was talking to this guy, and he's from a Christian family. But right now, he's going through that phase when he has to discover Christianity for himself. So, he, you know, he, he likes to... Um, doubt about it, or, you know, voices doubts, and I'm talking to him, you know, usually we try to create safe space for that, that people are comfortable expressing their concern, and he says, 
You know, whatever. I think we're all Christians just because we were born in Europe. And Christianity is this, like, Western European religion. And I'm like, dude. Because, you know, when you're college ministry, you have to call them dude, you know? So I'm like, dude, Jesus was born in Middle East. And he took, like, a Jewish religion that was... Eastern in its roots, it's Eastern thinking, Eastern worldview, Eastern, like, just a view of the world, Eastern philosophy. He took that, and he built upon it, and then all the first Christians were Middle Easterners. There's nothing Middle Eastern about it. And he was like, yeah, right. <laughs> just like, you know, the kids, they don't really, like, think about stuff. They just shoot straight. And um, I think... It's the same problem ever, everywhere. A lot of people consider today consider Christianity a Western European re religion. And you have the same, this, I think it's the same America. It's like, oh yeah, America is Christian. We're built on Christian roots. Um, I read a tweet the other day that said, guys, it's not Jesus of New Jersey. It's Jesus of Nazareth, right? <laughs> so, because sometimes we forget that it's not, the roots of Christianity are not in our culture. And to be fair, this is not a new problem. This is not something that happened just 20 years ago, 50 years ago, or 500 years ago. Uh, most first Christians were Jewish, but soon the pagans, and today it's a bad word, but pagans, that, that's us. Uh, unless your mother was Jewish, you know, we're all pagans, just non-Jewish people. Uh, pagans started to join Christianity, and a question came. Uh, whether Jesus came just for Jews or for other people. And then if not, if, he, if, if, if he's not just a Jewish Messiah, if he came for other people, do the pagans, the, the other people first have to become Jews and then Christian? Or do you skip that part? In other words, what's mandatory? What's the true core of Christian belief and faith? And what is extra cultural stuff? And in our text, Paul will talk about how it happened that the Jewish Messiah came also for the pagans, which, as I mentioned, I think uh, it has a lot to do with our uh, culture. Uh, we had a huddle. It was a conference for, for pastors. And there was a, a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Beck. He's from Fort Collins, Colorado. And he proposed this uh, interesting uh, idea. He said, I think the culture often stands in a way of our Christianity. For us, and he, he was talking for Americans. For us Americans, it's, um, there's this cultural narrative that we should be independent. You should never let somebody help you. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And he said, well, but Jesus came to help us because we're helpless. So he kind of goes, the, the narrative of Christianity goes against the narrative of our culture. And he asked me, what's... What is it to you, checks? Like, what's, what would be your thing that kind of keeps you from the gospel? And I thought about it, and I think it's skepticism. Czechs are very skeptic. Uh, every time, I, I read an article by a philosopher who said, every time there was hope that we're gonna, you know, something great's gonna happen to this nation, there was a, in 68, the Russians came. And then it was getting hopeful, and then the communists came. And it's like, every time there's hope, uh, we get hurt. And so it's in our culture that we are skeptic. And it's, it's a different level. Uh, there's a joke in Czech. You know, there's a, there's a glass of orange juice. 
And the optimist says, oh yeah, it's half full. And the pessimist says, oh, it's half empty. What do you think the per Czech person says? I think somebody peed in it. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, but it's kind of sad because we have, we're not pessimists. We have this whole different kind of crazy. We're, just, we're our own like level. Uh, we're just, and it's, it's, a, it's a defense mechanism. We don't want to be hurt again. So, you know, we just prepare for the worst. But the problem is, as Christians, we're supposed to be joyful. And we're supposed to be hopeful. And so there's this, this problem. And um, th this is problem of Christianity being part of other cultures, you know, and then taking, uh, taking some of the cultural stuff and people thinking it's part of that. It's been here since the beginning. Uh, there's one famous uh, picture I want to show you. Uh, should be on the presentation. It's called Madonna and the Child by Raphael Santi. And this is, a, this is more like European expression, what Jesus looked like when he was a baby with his mother, Mary. What's the problem with it? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's white. Like, so white. And... <laughs> yeah, that's the whitest person I've seen in a while. And... Uh, there's a problem, like, G G uh, Jesus was Middle Eastern, and there's a famous church in Nazareth. It's a Catholic cathedral. It's called Basilica of Annunciation. We have it on a, on a picture there. Uh, it's, in the, it's in the Nazareth, where Jesus, was, uh, Jesus lived. Um, supposedly, it's in a place where G the angel told Mary that... Uh, we can put up the picture, please. Uh, uh, it's in a place where... where Jesus told Mary that she's going to give birth uh, to Jesus. And, you know, it's kind of, it's trying to express this amazing idea that Jesus from Nazareth, which had at that time 500 people, became this worldwide figure. And how, how you know, just imagine, like, this town has 30, what, 30,000, 35,000 people, 40,000. This is a huge city compared to 500 people. Um, and for some reason, Jesus from this small village became, uh, started the, uh, the Christianity, that, which became, it came from such a small place, but became the most diverse and multicultural religion in the whole, whole world. And this basilica, right, uh, that's the church, they're trying to reflect that. It's, it's an, I think it's a good thing. They're trying to express this thing like, okay, Jesus was born here, but he became part of all the cultures, cultures in the world. So they have, a, uh, they have a place where artists from 43 different countries would send their variation of the Madonna and the child. And it's not supposed to be whitewashed. So if we can go through some of the pictures, it seems the presentation doesn't want to cooperate. Uh, Oh, yeah. So it would be Japan, Thailand, and China. So the artist, it's like a mosaic, and they were supposed to express Jesus and, and his mother uh, in their culture. How would it look like in their culture? And uh, nec the next one uh, is from Vatican. Somehow Pope made it in that picture. <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny to me, like... Uh, I don't, I don't think there was a pope in like until like a third or fourth century, but somehow he's there. 
Um, and by now, you're probably wondering, do we have a picture there? Yes, you do. And to be honest, it's nothing to write home about. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm so thankful for your support and for your prayers, but... I mean, come on. <laughs> what, what, what is that thing? Uh, yeah, it's kind of industrial. To be fair, to be fair, the next picture is from Czech. I think it's much nicer. But I'll give you that. Um, if you close pay attention, there's no Jesus. And <laughs> I just thought, I just, or maybe he's there. I don't, I don't see him there. All the other pictures is Mary holding the baby, and now it's Mary blessing our nation, but without Jesus. And I just, I just think it's so telling. Like, um, right, yeah, bless us. That's nice, but keep that Jesus stuff away. You know, following that guy, it's kind of hard. We don't want to do that. So uh, this would be, uh, this would be. Uh, uh, such an interesting thing, like Jesus becoming part of the, the cult uh, different cultures, reaching the whole world. But then there's the problem, like what's mandatory? What we, what we have to do as Christians to stay Christians and what's cultural? And I'd, I'd like to ask Steve to, to read a text from Ephesians where Paul deals with this exact uh, issue. And then we'll go through it. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity." And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in which you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, is it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members with the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. 
in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Okay, let me pray. I was asked to pray in, in Czech uh, to maybe show the, the different cultures. Pane Bože, díky za to, že uh, ty jsi přišel na tuhle zemi, že jsi přišel jenom do jedné kultury, ale zároveň uh, jsi oslovil všechny ty další. Uh, tak nám odpouštěj, když uh, nežijeme podle tvého příkladu, když um, uh, se soustředíme na to, aby, aby křesťanství vyjadřovalo naši kulturu, když um, zneužíváme křesťanství pro naši kulturu, místo abychom byli lidmi, kteří um, přinášejí jednotu, kteří přinášejí lásku, kteří se nebojí do, do všech kultur a překonávat kulturní rozdíly, tak jak ty, si to, jak ty si to udělal pro nás. Tak tě prosím za to, abychom teďka mohli vidět ve tvém slově, co, co jsi pro nás udělal a, a řídit se víc tvým příkladem a žít méně podle sebe. Amen. Um. So let's let's go through that text. I think it's a, it's really heavy. There's a lot of like confusing words. It's so filled with uh, uh, cultural meanings and and the the problems from that age. So before we go through the text, in my sermons I often repeat the context of the whole Bible because all the text. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be short. But uh, uh, because I do it in every sermon, I get practice. Um, because it, I, I, we always need to, to see the flow of the whole Bible story to kind of see how this sits with it. And the biblical story, uh, the short version, is that people used to live with God. They were in the, the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. There was abundance of food, good and healthy relationships. They had relationship with God directly, and they took care of the garden. And for me, one of the ways to look at it is it's a, it's a picture of having people all their uh, needs fulfilled. There's material needs they're, uh, fulfilled. There's enough food. It's relational needs. They have a Adam has Eve, and they have a good relationship. Uh, there's fulfillment of spiritual needs because they have a relationship with God. And there's fulfillment of, you might say, existential need. They have a purpose. They're supposed to take care of the garden, and their life has meaning. And people leave this place to live there in, on their own, because they think it might be better, and it breaks the world. And everything goes wrong, and here we are in this world that's full of suffering. All those things, all those needs are not fulfilled anymore. Some people don't have enough food. Some have bad relationships. People hate each other. There are wars, suffering, unselfishness because we lost the connection to God and we lost connection uh, to each other. We lost our purpose. Uh, our work is often hard. It doesn't make sense, of us, uh, sense to us and it creates all kinds of problems. And that's the, that's the main kind of point of a Bible. Uh, but it doesn't end there. God gives people another chance to come back to him. And the way he does it, he chooses the family family of Abraham, from which the nation of Israel is formed, and later from Israel comes Jesus. That is supposed to be the, the solution to everything. And the purpose of Israel was to show God to other nations, to be a nation that lives for him, that lives with him, 
And that's one of the reasons why Israel was different. Uh, they're supposed to uh, be different from, each other, uh, from other nations. So other people look at them and they say, hey, what's, what's wrong with these guys? And maybe they can see that they follow God and it's better. And it's one of the first verse that we read, um, uh, that's what Paul talks, talks about. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncir- uncircumcision by so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. So God saves this family and create, creates the nation of Israel to show the world that what it means to live with him, and they were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be generous. They were supposed to be nice to their neighbors. They, uh, they were supposed to love each other, not create big differences between poor and rich, take care of the needy, of the widows, uh, take care of the orphans. But there were also uh, formal differences. They were not supposed to eat certain things. They were not supposed to dress certain way. They were supposed to rest for one day a week uh, and so forth. And, and how did it Go for them, you know, being different. <laughs> How did they do? If you've ever read the Bible, they didn't do so great, like we probably wouldn't. And they were, other, they were not better than other nations. They had the same problems. And not only that, but they took their differences and instead uh, of focusing on them as, as a means to be like the separate nation for God, they built their national identity around them. They thought that these things alone make them better than other people. Uh, in this verse, they call the other people uncircumcision. Don't ask me why, but for some reason, circumcision is their point of pride. That um, was one of their favorite cultural differences. And so if you're not part of Israel, if you're uncircumcised, I can't say that word too many times. It's too hard in English. Uh, if you didn't undergo that ritual, you're different and you're you're worse. You're a lesser person. And I think it, this is still a problem in today's culture. We pick certain things, and those are our identity. They create our identity, and we measure by these things if you're better than other people, who's better and who's worse. And just think about how many problems in the world today come from some nation or some group thinking they're better than others thinking we're, we're a better nation, so we deserve your territory. We're better because we have the right skin color. We are better because we dress correctly. We're better because we vote for the right political party. We believe the right things. The, and the others become inferior. I'm a better person by some cultural marker, identifier, and it gives me the right uh, to look down on the other person and sometimes even kill that person or, or or wage war on their nation. And Paul continues uh, in, the, in the next verse. Uh, we, can we do the presentation? <laughs> Sorry, the, the, the thing that I could use that doesn't work. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can just, oh, great. Uh, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So Israelites are not fulfilling their mission, but they are proud of who they are. They are not the light of the world. That's why Jesus steps in. And he's what Israel was supposed to be. He was the best and most true human to ever live. And he stepped down into the 
uh, conflict and broke down barrier. There's a talk of barrier, and it's, a it's, not, it's not figurative speech. In the Jewish temple, there was a wall, and if you were, if you were a pagan, you, co you couldn't go behind that wall. And Paul says, all these cultural differences that we create, that we think make us better person uh, than the others, Jesus comes and breaks that down because it's not true. And Jesus comes into the middle of this hu huge human conflict, uh, Jews versus pagans, Romans against Jews, us against them, my group against your group, and Jesus comes in the middle of that, and it kills him. And I think it's true in history, it's true of everyone who ever tries to solve this conflict, usually gets killed by this conflict. But somehow he overcomes it. He's, he roses, he's risen from the, from the dead, and he defeats that conflict. And Paul, in the next verse, explains how. It says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in him, himself he might make the two in, into one new man, thus establishing peace. So Jesus takes all the problems of the world, personal and global, from the little things as us being judgmental to other people, to global wars. He takes all these problems and solves them. He challenges the conflict and evil in the world, and as everyone else who did, ever did that, he dies. But the difference is he didn't stay dead. He, was, he rose from the dead. He was risen, and as Paul says, abolished the enmity, creating a new man, new, new humanity, a new beginning. And this is the answer, to my, I think, to my original question. What is church supposed to be? What are we supposed to be? Often we make it something less, spirituality, community, uh, worship, a building, and moral system. And these things can be good. I'm not against community. I had amazing community for, community for the last three weeks here. But Paul is saying it's more. We are a new humanity. Christ was the first new human, and we're supposed to follow him in that. And uh, what we're supposed to do is in the, in the next verse... Uh, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So this new humanity is united. We are not Israelites, Greeks, Americans, Czechs. We are Christians, and we are supposed to be one family. And the Bible teaches that the only thing needed to become part of this new humanity is to recognize that I am personally part of the problem. Everybody is responsible for being selfish, for thinking that I'm better than others and that my group is better than the other groups. And through this, we all, on bigger or smaller scale, bring suffering to the world. Christianity is so practical. We sometimes make it about these complicated theological concepts. And then we talk about them and we, feel, we might feel great. But Paul here is saying, oh no, we're, we're not supposed to just gather and have fun or you know, feel spiritual and feel great about how we're better than the others. We're supposed to meet, and we're supposed to form a new humanity that overcome the conflict. Because the conflict, the, the, the thing that we think we're better than others, always brings suffering in the world. It always brings conflict, even wars. Uh, wars and, and, and just break, breaking of relationship. Uh, so everybody is welcome in this community if if they're part of it of, by faith in Jesus, there are no other criteria, no, the right, not the right morals, not the right dogmas, not the correct clothing or whatever we choose to identify ourselves by. We just have to believe in Jesus, 
that he overcame the differences, and now our job is to strive to be this, this new humanity, new humans, that overcome all the, the problems, the suffering that uh, come from being, being different, uh, from focusing on being different, focusing on the differences instead of loving other people. So Paul here, and we'll go to the last verse that I think is the most important. But before we go there, I think Paul here describes how Jesus' death created new humanity, which is supposed to be united, not divided. And to unite the divided humanity, where everyone thinks uh, they are the, the, the best group, they're the best uh, individual, Jesus came to unite us. And I think it's relevant because... Even in Czech, we're starting to experience more and more like extreme political movements that divide. And uh, from talking to you guys, that's nothing new to you. I, maybe you even invented that, but um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But we're just starting to experience this huge division. And Paul takes this seriously. It's not like, oh, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, that happens. We experience the tension in our societies, the, the potential for conflict, the lack of understanding, the hurt and the suffering that the division uh, creates. And Paul is saying no, we shouldn't be just another group thinking they are the best. We shouldn't play this game that's rigged. That Once you start playing it, it always, always ends bad. It always ends in suffering. We shouldn't be that. And... Um, in the last verse, it seems, it seems to explain that uh, it's, why, why is he taking it so seriously? He's saying we should do all these things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul often mentions in his, in his letters some spiritual power, some principalities, some rulers in heaven. And this verse is a little unclear. You know, some commentators say it means this, some that. But even if you're like not 100% sure what this verse means, um, we see this principle elsewhere in the Bible, and especially with Paul. Uh, he always talks in his theology about evil and that the evil and suffering in this world cannot be explained by the wrong decisions that we make as people. He's saying it's not... Of we are capable of bringing suffering, but he's saying, well, we're not probably that capable. It's more than just wrong decisions or looking at other people from above. Um, the, it's interesting that when you read about like great genocides, Holocaust, uh, even secular people will sometimes say it was demonic. Like, there's this acknowledgement, even in secular society, like, right, this, this, this is not just human evil. Like, yes, we can be really bad, but there's something, like, more at play. These things get so out of hand that it's not possible to explain it just as a bad decision, a mistake, or just misunderstanding uh, between nations or people. Uh, and Paul is, Paul is saying that. He's saying, yeah. We, need, we have to wake up. This is not a bad decision. This cannot be solved by giving better educa education to people. This cannot be solved by giving more money to people. This cannot be solved by us, by focusing on peace or, some, or just that. He's saying we have to wake up because there's more at play here. There are some 
principalities, there's some spiritual evil that will always try to take hold of these situations and just spin them out of control. And we don't have to go far in history and, uh, uh, to find these things. The 20th century was one of the probably bloodiest century in the history of humanity. In 1994, that was the bloodiest three months of our history. Uh, there are estimates that half million or three quarters of a million people died in Rwanda because of hatred between two tribes. It's people who are living in the same country. They look the same. They're the neighbors. But somehow, it just goes so out of control that two tribes, just one kills the other. And there's, there might be up to 750,000 dead people by machetes, by the cruelest ways imaginable. And Paul is saying, I don't think it can be explained by human conflict and misunderstanding. There's something more. There's something insane, something profoundly evil, something even demonic that just hijacks. It has the ability to hijack any conflict or separation or differences between groups of people and es escalate them into infinity, into genocide until no one's left. It can be, the markers can be faith, religion, skin color, political preferences, lifestyle, social status. It can be simple thing, but when it gets going, there's no stopping it, as we've experienced in, in history of the world. And Paul, uh, last slide, uh, oh, yeah, right. Paul is saying that we need a community of people of new family, new humanity, who are humble and realize they're not, that we are saved by God's grace. We're not better than other people because, you know, it's something we did. We were saved by Jesus, not because anything we did, but because he decided to, and he gave us grace. And we should be the kind of people that we, when we see other culture or different group of people, we will say, okay, I don't understand how can I listen to this kind of music. I don't understand how can they eat this food. Uh, I don't understand how these people in my country can hold these opinions, but they're probably thinking the same about me. Let's find an understanding. Let's not prosecute. Let's not fight. And that's how God, that was the last verse, that's how God chooses to fight these problems by the community that doesn't give passage to such, such things. Of course they will exist. Of course we will not agree with other people. Of course, it's our job to hold to certain values. It's not our job to, yes, let's find understanding, so I'll just roll over and don't care about anything. No, we're supposed to have values and fight for them. But it's not supposed to be the thing that makes us better and that allows us to hate other people. Otherwise, we're no different. We just bring more suffering to the world. And we're failing at this, at this core thing of church that... Our task is not to meet on Sunday and be spiritual. Our task is to be this new humanity that, that lessens the suffering to the world and not adds to it. And in his letter to Galatians, Paul says, there are no more Jews or Gentiles, no more slaves or masters, no more men and women. And there's discussion about what it means. But I think at the core, it means that we should not look down on anybody because of these differences, because they are different nation, because they are different gender, or because they are different social status, which would be always, in every society, in, in history, one gender is always uh, suffering a little bit more, and the other is privileged. In every society, there are nations that are 
bigger and they think they're better and they can take whatever, whatever they want. In every society, there are people of status that usually abuse the, the ones who are lower and then the ones who, who are lower just do a revolution and there's more blood, there's more suffering. And Paul is saying we shouldn't um, do that anymore. Um, and I think it's so relevant for today. It makes me sad when church is just another place of conflict, just another group that disagrees with everyone, just another group that thinks we're better than others. When you disagree with everyone and we're just one more exclusive uh, group that fights everybody else. Um, I'm going to close. I, I'd like to call the band so then we can worship. But two, more, two, two, two points that I was trying to make today to sum up. Um, the question, what is, what is church? Why do you come here? Is it just spirituality? Is it just community? Because I think those are great. We, we need those. But maybe it goes deeper. How do you look at people who disagree with you? How do you look at other people who are different? Uh, because often we want to we want to beat the other group. And like I said, Jesus held his ground. When he disagreed with someone, he was like, no, I think you're not, you're not right. Uh, I think you're wrong. He was not afraid to say that. And we need to hold to our values. But he had, he had firm opinions. But he loved the other side. He loved his enemies so much that he died for them. And I think that's the question. Uh, and that's the second point. Like, How do we... How do we fight for our values? Because often I think the mistake is we fight the same way as everybody else. We just, we, they have their values, we have our own, and now we have to fight them in, like, just like everybody else. But maybe, uh, maybe you can discuss next week in your Michelin communities or groups or with your friends. How do you fight but also love the other person? Because Jesus was using love to, to, for the fight. How do we keep our stances but love the ones uh, who disagree? Because we're supposed to be the new humanity that is willing to suffer and give up our rights to bring peace. Because there's exactly what Jesus did. He brought values. He held to them. But he was also willing to die to other people. Paul, in this letter, he writes, he writes from prison. Because the values, and, and he's in prison because he's falsely accused of being pagan, bringing pagan to the temple. And he just goes to prison for that because he wants to overcome that. He was such friends of pagans that people were like, oh, he, surely he brought them to temple. Let's lock him up. Like it was worthy to him to love the other culture. He was a Jew, but he so loved the pagans that he would go to prison for them. And Jesus so loved everyone who was disagreeing with him, who was just, uh, might say, like his enemy. He loved everyone so much that he would die for them. So he's the only one who was actually better. I think it's funny. We think we're better than other people. But the only person in the history of the universe who was actually better than everybody else was Jesus. That's how Bible describes it. He's, he's the best human to ever live. And so often we just think it's us, <laughs> right? I, I do that too. I just think I'm better than other people. Uh, of course, I don't admit it to myself, but I'm, then I see someone, I'm like, oh, you know, that guy. I'm, I'm better than that. But the only, only person who was better than everybody else was Jesus. Um, but it's, instead of fighting 
for everyone's uh, uh, for his rights, instead of rubbing into everyone's face that he's better, he seeks reconciliation. He seeks to bring peace. Uh, he seeks to bring unity. And he was willing to die for that. He was willing to go out of his comfort for that. He was willing to sacrifice for that. And I think the main question for us is, if we're going to follow him or if we're going to be like everybody else.